Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Marcus. Uh, welcome into the Man Room. We will get to episode five of the Man Room with comedian Seth Milstein in just one moment. I just wanted to put this little uh, disclaimer on this track because, well, I'll be honest with you, I totally fucked it up. Um, I, I don't know what happened. We were recording the entire thing through my webcam instead of through my microphones. It was a fiasco. You'd almost feel like I have zero professional experience with audio production, which is not the case but it kind of sounds like it in this podcast. So I do apologize. Uh, before you just hit stop right now and don't listen at all, take a listen. It's not bad. It, it's about Zoom quality audio, okay? So don't hold it against Seth Milstein. It was an awesome conversation. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff, had a ton of fun up here in the man room. So listen to the episode and understand that uh, the next time Seth comes in, you will hear the docent tones of his voice as they should sound in your ears. Thanks for listening to the man room. Let's get to the episode. Grab a drink. This is the man room. Welcome into the man room. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Marcus Bridges, and uh, we've got a great show planned for you today. I'm super stoked about this one. Before we get into it, though, the same thing that we always got to talk about. Check us out at the website, www.themanroompodcast.com. Uh, you can find all of the links there, the YouTube page, the Spotify. We're on Anchor. We're on Stitcher. We're on every damn platform that they offer for podcasts. So I hope that we're, I'm running out of them, and sooner or later, it'll just be every single one of them. And I can say every single one of them confidently, but that's only if people stop uh, making up new ones. So check us out at all those places. If you want to donate to the show, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. There's a donate button up at the top of the webpage. Once again, www.themanroompodcast.com. Uh, first and foremost today, we want to welcome into the studio uh, Eugene Comedian and a mainstay there since long before I started doing comedy in this town. Um, great guy. I've worked with you on my radio show before. Uh, we've done some stand-up specials together. And uh, I'm just so stoked to have you in here. My good buddy, Seth Milstein, thanks for joining me in the man room today, dude. Thanks for having me, Marcus. This is a lot of fun. Hey, dude, I, I'm actually having a lot of fun with it because, like, my wife kind of just all of a sudden told me, she's like, yeah, chase your dream, you know, kind of gave me the <laughs> reins. And I just kind of built, like, a fun house for adult children up here. Yeah, and so yeah. this is a cool room. I don't, <laughs> if, I don't know if there's a video component to this podcast, but this room is dope. I, I hope to get one sooner or later. I feel like, like I have a webcam right now, but it's just kind of a dumpy webcam. I feel yeah. like if I'm going to do it, I got to do it right. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if I, had, if I had shitty, grainy video and all these other fun toys, I feel like people would feel like I'm mailing it in. Right, know? yeah. <laughs> so welcome in. Uh, glad to have you here. It feels nice. You're only the second person out of, I think, six of these that I've done now that's actually been in person. So I'm very oh, cool. glad to have somebody at the house and kind of feel that that bit of normalcy again. So. Yeah, I've done so many Zoom chats and it's just like you can't land a, a joke on Zoom because there's a lag always. <laughs> yes. Somebody's fucking computer is not up to date and you always... Uh, you always end up getting some type of weirdness. So I like doing it in person if it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing about those voiceover IP apps is they, they totally dictate who gets muted and when. Right. So you might be hitting your punchline and somebody will <laughs> laugh and just kill the rest of it, you know, yep. because their mic modulates or something. So yeah. 
uh, yeah, it's it's best to be live for sure, and uh, that's hopefully the point. I mean, I didn't put all this cram all this shit up here into the corner of this room so that I could just video chat. You right, know, yeah. I really want to have people up here and. And that was kind of what the idea was built around. I mean, back when things were normal, I used to host a lot of people, you know, football games were big tailgaters and everything. So used to have quite a few people over here. And uh, actually, just recently, I yanked the hide bed out of here to give me more room to put yeah. toys in. So um, I'm excited about it, man. And uh, as always, first things first in the man room, as you take your first sip, I'm going to go ahead and take mine. Um you have provided the drinks today, which is I normally have. that's something that I strive to do for people. And I'm just absolutely ecstatic to be trying some very nice whiskey that you brought tell us about it yeah this is a I, uh, a dear friend of mine got this for me for my birthday um and it is uh it's bull run whiskey from a bull run distillery in portland and um it's uh aged 13 years and then they put it into a pinot barrel and age it for another seven months Dude. and so you get this like rich flavor there's um i you know, I always smell chocolate whenever I uh, whenever I, I give it a whiff. But uh, oh yeah, uh, everybody kind of has their own interpretation, and uh, most of my friends are you know we drink Jameson, so we don't know good whiskey. <laughs> so that's the taste. that's and, uh, great. Yeah, man. but no, this has been really tasty, and uh, it's funny because I give it to I, my roommate's not much of a. Um, uh, hard alcohol guy. He's more of a beer guy, and uh, he actually didn't want to throw up after he took a sip of it. I was like, "That's good for whiskey." Yeah, for that's, you. that's good, man. <laughs> I like it because it's like uh, I get the the really really flavorful whiskey on the front, but I almost do get almost the the feeling of I've just taken a sip of wine as I as I swallow. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I definitely can taste the Pinot in there. So yeah, uh, we used to have that uh, that brewery out in. Um, was that on Cottage or not Cottage Grove, uh, Coburg? Um, uh, and now I'm forgetting the name of it. But they anyway, they used to do a beer that was like a light beer, but they did it in Pinot barrels. Really, and it was just it. I mean, it tasted like grapes. It That's was awesome. amazing. Yeah, That's really awesome. Good. I I should drink more wine. I don't. The red mouth thing gets me. The red teeth, and right, and yeah. also I just feel like sometimes. I feel like sometimes I'm such a I'm such like a social and excited drinker that if somebody pours me a nice bottle or a nice glass of wine, it's probably a little bit lost on me. Like if you <laughs> right, if you sure. line me up ten or twelve to try, like I'm probably going to be able to tell the difference. But uh, you know, thirty forty bucks a glass is like I don't need that. Spend that on a steak, all right? Yeah, Give yeah. me a Pepsi or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I feel the same way because I've been drinking. You know, like when you do comedy, yeah, if you drink at all, you end up having more drinks than you ever plan to every <laughs> single night. And uh, so I, I, I like switched at one point. I was like, I can't do IPAs anymore. I got to have like cheap beer that has like lower alcohol content. So I became like a PBR guy. And yeah. now it's like, now it's like, now like good beer just tastes like trash to me. <laughs> just like, <laughs> give me the red, white, blue. PBR can change a man. Yeah. I know <laughs> that's the case. That's funny, man. Yeah. I, you know, the IPAs, I, I love them, dude. And I, I get all up in them sometimes and it's, Sometimes there's those mornings after where you're like, that's why I, I tried to dial back the IPAs because yeah. you get that IPA headache that oh yeah it feels like somebody hits you with like a Louisville Slugger T-ball bat right between the <laughs> eyes yeah. and it just stays around all day. You can't drink water your way out of it. Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's like nausea and headache the whole day. Yeah, and, uh, that's not not a fun place to be. Yeah, I yeah. you know I'll be honest. I go to the the Coors Lights when I uh, I I like Paps. I just 
it's one of those beers that I drank so much in college. Sure. And it was, it's the same way with, the, and I'm kind of glad you don't really see this stuff around anymore. I think it might've only been in business well when I was in college because of me and my friends. And that was Milwaukee's uh-huh. best. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, uh, I, those two, I got my fill on because we used to go to the beer docks here in town in Eugene and buy that shit for $3 a case. And yeah, you'd yeah. fill up the whole back end of a truck with it and just <laughs> drive away as like a, irresponsible about to go commit crimes college student yeah. you know well i started my drinking years in indiana and uh that's like i mean there's a, there's like this trifecta of horrible beers you know because you got <laughs> milwaukee's best from the north you got fall city uh from i think i think that was in like uh evansville or something like that and then it's just all shitty beer and that like back then and not to sound like the ultimate hipster but back then <laughs> We would drink Pabst because, like, because it was two dollars at the bar, you know, and right. everything else. Like the next beer up was like a Killian's Red for three, <laughs> and so I was like, "Well, Killian's Red's shitty anyway, so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just drink the Pabst. It's fine." Yeah. And people used to make fun of us for drinking Pabst, and when I went back a couple of years ago just to visit some friends. I uh, I ordered a Pepsi at the bar. The guy was like, you sure? Like, we have a lot of beer. I was like, no, I just need something that won't knock me out for the rest of the night, you know, for one beer. Uh, I drank a, a couple of Guinness last night just uh, to celebrate St. Patty's Day. And, right. Uh, and, you know, it was like one of those things. It's like, I love the taste of this, but it's heavy as hell, you know? Like, it is not a friendly beer to my stomach and my head or anything like that. So, I uh, yeah, I like the lighter bodied beers. Yeah, man. I also think that uh, choosing PBR because it's $2 is like a financial decision. And sure. you should totally feel comfortable telling the bartender that when it happens. Because yeah. it's like, I have this thing in me that's like, I want to make good financial decisions. But I also want the people that have to provide me with those from a service perspective to understand that's why I'm making right. the decision. You know? Yeah, there was a point in time like when, when I first started like drinking at bars like in my early 20s. It was like, you, you want to impress the bartender for some reason. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you can order as much Tangeray and tonic as you want, but by the end of the night, you're still the guy that he's got to kick out because you're barfing in the stall. (laughs) And you you get that feeling in your early 20s like you're the only one to do it. Like, I'm going to step into this well-established bar, and I'm going to change everybody's mind about drinking. I'm going to come in here with a virgin stomach and order a Glenlivet 12-year and try to not make a face every time I take a sip. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And we've seen it, too. Um, You and I, we did, uh, we used to do some stand-up together at a college bar here in town, and I talked with Chris Castles about this, too, when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, The old Donkey Kong comedy at Taylor's Bar and Grills. I just realized I'm still friends with Donk Gong on uh, on Facebook. <laughs> a one of few, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it's uh, nobody's updated anything in a while. So yeah, I don't know if you guys want to get around to that. But. <laughs> Turns out the show met an abrupt end about six years ago. Uh, I know, I know, there was a few people wondering about it, but no, Donkey Gong comedy uh, was put on by the radio show that I used to do uh, with my buddy Drew and Tanner down here, and it was a it was a comedy gong show at a college bar on a Monday night. Mm-hmm. And it was basically there to fill time between yeah. when the dinner crowd kind of fizzled out and then the I want to rub my genitals on other people crowd right. fizzled in. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember distinctly one time they left both the TVs on that were on the stage. So we were doing stand up <laughs> between two TVs yeah. and it's a gong show. So it's like you're the whole time. Not me so much because I was the, the guy that host was my co-host on the radio. So he kind of gave me free reign. And there were some yeah. times when. 
I was like, well, he's not going to gong me. I'm going to see how bad I can actually be and see if I can get gonged, you know? And I, I think I watched one of the TVs for like two minutes in one of my sets. You yeah. know? Was, I think uh, we had like a running thing that was like who could get gonged the least out of the comedy crew. And I think that I was like pretty high up because I, I only got gonged once or twice. Yeah. And I was, uh, but it but like one of them was just a night where Drew was gong heavy. Because it was a dead night and everyone was kind of pissed off that we couldn't like get a real reaction from the crowd. And right. so he was just kind of like lightly slapping the gong every time somebody was wrapping up their set anyway. <laughs> sure, so you felt like you kind of got robbed on that one. Yeah, I was like, well, that's fine. That one, that one counts for everybody. Yeah, so. right. Well, that's, I mean, that's comedy on a Monday night in a, yeah. in a town or city, if you want to call it, Eugene. Uh, you know, you're kind of telling jokes to uh, like part of the fun of that gong show was that it was working on your material in front of other people mm -hmm. that were knowledgeable about working on jokes and, and workshopping their material and trying to get better. But every now and then, especially if you were going in there kind of working on the same thing and really trying to dial it in, it's like you told the same seven people the same seven right, jokes yeah. every We've Monday. Heard it. We're, <laughs> we're like whispering the punchlines to ourselves <laughs> while you're on stage and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, actually, it's been a while for me. I didn't actually see the stage uh, after we ended the radio show um, until, gosh, it was, well, I was doing trivia night for a college bar there for a little mm -hmm. while. But we did a, uh, a laughed and loaded special is what we that called was, it. That was a ton of fun. It was such an amazing show. I was working for a company called White Label Extracts at the time. Um, and this was back when rules in the cannabis industry were kind of shaky and we saw a loophole and I went to a meeting one day and I was like, we need to do a comedy show. Like yeah. let, let me and the sales manager take this over and set it up. And they gave us, you know, a budget and uh, we got you, we had Alex Adney, we had Mike McGowan uh -huh. and then Billy Wayne Davis came yeah. in to headline it. And this show, I, I'm not sure that people that weren't there really understand what it was because you walked in and there was a big, pizza cart there like a like a pizza truck selling slices of pizza and that guy would sprinkle fresh weed on your pizza and put it in the oven and decarb it for you so you had like a cannabis edible pizza yep. right there on the go and after you walked into the place it was nothing but dab bars with concentrates and free joints all over the place and if you if you were ever more than five feet from a bong it was because you were doing something wrong right you know? yeah and yeah, uh, I did. I didn't smoke before I went on stage because I'm I'm like worthless if I get high before I go on stage. And but I was in the green room and Billy Wayne was taking dabs like the entire time. <laughs> and they, like at a certain point, I walked on stage and I was just like, "Oh, I'm high." I'm really, I'm high. <laughs> it's a pretty small and, green room. <laughs> yeah, it was really small. And uh, and I had like an out of body experience that night, like where I just watched myself do 20 minutes of comedy. Like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are, buddy? Um, but like it was, it was, and also I had tragedy that night. Uh, that was the night after my girlfriend left me to move back to California, oh, which no. was an abrupt thing. Like when I woke up the day before that show, I was in love, and then by the end of the day before that show, she was gone. Oh my god, and so dude! And you I, still came to perform. You didn't say was, anything about that. No, I like uh, Mike knew and Billy knew, and that was it. And uh, and yeah, I like, and that was another thing. It was so cathartic, it, like to just be like, oh, like I've been doing this long enough that the like something that huge isn't going to ruin my set. You know, like I could definitely see it doing it even a year before that. Yeah. But, like, I was just like, I know what this show is. It's a weed show. I'm going to do all my best weed jokes. And uh, and like like I said, I was so high that I just kind of like 
my body performed comedy <laughs> while my mind was like, I'm sad. It was but, that, that sense memory thing that you have. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, and it was all jokes that I've done before because I, uh, uh, your your old boss, Nick, at uh, White Label, he saw me like three days before that show and he's like, hey, you're going to do all those bits you did at the uh, the comedy roast the, or the canvas roast thing. And I was like, oh, well, I was going to do a whole new set, but I guess I'll do those. <laughs> you're kind of flipping the bill for this whole thing. <laughs> So, so I ended up doing like this, almost the same exact set that I had done like a year earlier for a different event. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was still a blast. And, you know, I walked away from that, like, like, okay, comedy is like therapeutic in my life for sure, because I was able to like, like put the emotions on the shelf for a little bit. Right. Right. That's awesome. Right. I mean, you don't sometimes always think about that like on the day-to-day about how you might need something like that to kind of you know bridge the gap between a really bad day and the next one whether it's going to be good or bad it's just validation you know for if you're on stage and you tell a joke and everyone laughs then like you had a thought that you put together into a workable piece of performance art or whatever the fuck you want to call it (laughs) (laughs) and it worked like the people related to you so like it's a it's like well, yeah, she left, but these guys are yeah. here. <laughs> My mom still thinks I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to come home with me yeah. tonight? I want to be the small spoon. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm very fragile right now. I got a six-pack of beer. We can share them. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, and it was it was a one-of-a-kind thing, too, because I don't know that you'll ever get to – and I, maybe you will. I don't know that I'll ever get to stand on stage – in front of 200 sets of eyes that are so red and right. just so baked. It, you could have gone up there and been like, you know, like Dan Aykroyd from, uh, uh, what's that movie? Popcorn. You oh, know, yeah. just yeah, yeah. <laughs> gross point blank. You know, just say a word and they're going to love it. And I, I hadn't been on stage for years. And I, all I did was host. So, you right. know, I had five, five minutes here, five minutes there. And I was terrified because I was so out of practice. Yeah. And it turns out that all they needed was a mildly competent person up there to get them from comic to comic. Right. And they were totally happy. So, yeah, I think I I don't think the hosting position on a comedy show gets enough credit because there is an art to it. You have to be the guy you're you're the you're the control in the in the experiment of comedy. You know? <laughs> so you have to get them back in every like if they, if, you know, Mike McGowan takes them way out and, and they don't know what the fuck is going on, <laughs> especially since they're high as fuck you're because right. they've been eating weed pizza the entire time. Then, you know, the host is the guy that's like, hey, remember, this is how this goes. This is how my voice sounds. And we're going to there's going to be another guy. He's going to weird you out, too. And yeah. I'll be back after that. You know, I think it's uh, I think I heard in a, I have a friend that was a comic in Canada and she moved to L.A. And um, she said that uh, she said that the the host is like the position that everybody's trying to get to. Really? And the middle is like the the one that everybody's at. You know, everybody has their 20 minutes and that's why you're in the game. But then, you know, the headliner is obviously the guy who's worked in the industry for the longest amount of time. And then the host is the one that's like the more high paid and more respected position because they're the ones that keep the show on track. And I was like, hmm. well, aren't you weird up there? But that's cool. <laughs> it's not a bad thing to aspire to. See, no. if you would have told me that, that I was I was responsible for the control right before I went up, I would have lost you my mind. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. what did happen is Mike McGowan took him way out to sea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kicked him all off the boat. He always does. (laughs) Kicked him all off the boat. And I can't wait to have him in here, too. I'm out to him. I'm hoping sooner or later we'll be able to get him in as well and talk about this because 
it was, like I said, it was a one of a kind experience for me. And uh, we were blessed with some amazing comics that night. You guys yeah, all I mean, killed it. Billy did, what, an hour and a half? At least. And, and like, was taking dabs on stage in the middle <laughs> yes. of the set. It yes. was, like, one of the most amazing sets I'd ever seen. I had a friend that couldn't get in that night, and he was waiting outside. And it was, like, just starting to get cooler. And he's, he's like, dude, he's, like, texting me. He's like, how long are you going to be? I was like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> staying This around. is amazing. Uh, this should have been over 20 minutes ago, but I'm not fucking leaving. It'll probably be another... 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, now. when when your headliner's so high, and I, I mentioned this to Chris Castles too, when your headliner's so high that he forgets the host's name, which yeah. is the, the only one that's been mentioned multiple times every night, mm-hmm. uh, or every every single set, it, he started calling me Eugene when I was loading his bong for him, which <laughs> made perfect sense. I mean, it's right. a great, great nickname, so yeah. I'll take it. But uh, that was a fun show, man. I, I was looking at your Facebook page a little bit, and I saw that right before the world stopped being the world as we knew it. You actually did a show with Shane Torres at Lucky's. We did. The night, it was really the night before. Like It, it was the 12th of, uh, of March, and it was part of... I've been doing uh, shows for a year before that with uh, my friend Rudy Tybersi. Uh, and we, we have this uh, company called Just Comedy, and we were just trying to bring bigger acts to Eugene. Mm-hmm. And that was actually one of our smaller shows uh, for... for venue availability reasons more than anything but yeah that was a show that we were kind of expecting to have like 150 people at and then this happens and then we ended up with like 40 or 50 people which was great i mean it was like a really nice note to like end comedy on you know I'm, (laughs) I'm, i'm glad that i like I have a fond memory so that when when stuff starts happening again, I want to go back. Sure, know? sure. Because I was like, what if my last show was just a shitty open mic at fucking Blind Pig or something? Right. Like that, you know? <laughs> but um, but yeah, that was a really wonderful show, and it it was so weird because like all this shit's happening, and they're saying we're going to close things down, and like America had never experienced anything like that. So right. like we didn't. I think most people just didn't believe it was real. It was like shock or whatever. And, uh, but like the day of the show, like I had two people like, like private message me and they were like, Hey, I don't think this is a good idea for you to do it. And I was like, well, and then, you know, Rudy backed out the last minute because his mom was sick recently. Like she had had a lung thing. Oh, wow. And, uh, so he was like, I don't want to risk it, you know, cause he lives on the same property as his mom. And, uh, and so I was like, all right, I'll host the show by myself. But then like, you know, like Shane called me when he got out of, uh, off the plane and he's like, so should I rent a car? And I was like, <laughs> the venue hasn't canceled. I, I think we're good. We've sold a lot of tickets, you know? And he was like, all right. And then he was like, call, you know, calls me again. I'm in the car. Should I drive a star driver? <laughs> I was like, uh, I think if you're good to do it, I think we can do it. And, um, and it was like the last show. And I, I was sweating bullets for three weeks after that show because I was like, I just didn't want to be the reason somebody got sick. Sure. And, um, and just that that fear and, and you know, because, like, we're doing this to make people happy. You know, like, we don't want to kill anybody. Right, we don't want to kill anybody on the way. I mean, we want to kill um, you with laughter. Yeah, but. I mean, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was like this thing where I was, like, I was really stressed out. And so after that, I didn't even, I didn't try to push forward with any any type of shows or anything like that because I just wanted to be safe. We, I mean, a couple other people did open mics when we reopened for that brief period of time. Uh-huh. And it was nice to just go and kind of scrub the rust off. But like we, yeah, I mean, that was the last real show that I've done. That's crazy. And that's been just, I mean, just at a year, a year year and four days right now. That's crazy, man. Well, 
I, I think that you made a good point, though. Um, first of all, I got to say, I, great job bringing Shane Torres to town. I think he's oh, great. Yeah. He's yeah. so funny. He's and, one of my favorites. Um, uh, he's one of the few people that like I got to like work with when he was like nobody, when we were both open micers. And he just, I mean, the way that that guy can pull words together is just so great. And he knows who he is and how the audience sees him. And like those are all like super important things in comedy. He's a, one of the smartest and funniest jokes. Joe I've ever met. I'll be honest that one of the hardest parts about Anthony Bourdain's death for me was that that his bit about Guy Fieri he might not do anymore right, because yeah. he talks a little bit yep. of shit about Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> and, I, and when I think it's one of the best bits out there about yeah, like the, just no, the, the culture on the internet, you know, yep. it says so much. So yeah, um, what a great comedian. And I'm sure you guys with just comedy are you are you still going to pursue that goal once things open? Yeah, back we up? actually just had a had a Rudy and I kind of got down and had a discussion about it and. Yeah, I think we're planning to just do another full year in 22. Okay, and um, so we're we're kind of in the in the early stages. Everybody's so tentative right now. Nobody wants to put anything on the books yet, but we're we're talking to people and we're we're starting to book 22. Yeah, and um, uh, and I think until then we're just going to try to get the Eugene scene up and going again, get a couple mics going again. And because uh, that's the thing, like, I mean, at this point, like people are asking me, like, what are you going to book another thing? I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Again. You know, like, <laughs> right. you know, before I try to pay other people to do it, I want to figure out how to do it again. Sure. So, sure. yeah, it's just uh, I think we want to scrub the rest off. And uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. Like, I. I we have like a small group of comics that we do a video chat every every week, you know, every every Friday. And I, I don't know that I would have been able to make it through this without the without that that crew. And I, I probably said the same about a couple of them too. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, no one had experienced anything like this before. Like where it's just like, nope, you are you're kind of in a prison cell, but it looks like you're a partner. Right, right. <laughs> you better find something fun to do. Yeah. And exactly. that's I mean, hey, once again, the whole idea of this podcast was born out of that. Not right. having a job. Yeah wanting to not work for anybody else anymore and also wanting to feel like I was doing something that I kind of enjoyed. But yeah, how hard is that when what you enjoy is comedy and you can only tell it to your wall right. or computer screen? I mean, it must well, turn you inside out. Yeah. I, I mean, I have musician friends and I know that they're feeling the same thing because performing is just performing. Yep, yep. But I'm like, yeah, you can fucking write a song and know that it's done <laughs> when you're finished writing it, you know, like because it sounds like a song, you know, I don't know if a joke's good until like I get feedback from right people, you know? right and if you're so, like me I, I don't know if you or you're like this you're probably not because you're a much better uh, comedian and writer than i am and i tend to get attached to the first thing i write mm -hmm. and then when i get the first feedback especially if it's from like my wife i'll be like well you just must not get what i'm trying to say <laughs> you know it's like it's obviously not me I doing mean, a disservice it's you and that's a, such a bad mindset to have but i think that's like that's a pretty pretty common instinct especially like in the beginning when you're like just trying to like figure it out or whatever uh that's it's such a specific like uh or it's such a such a common instinct to have that like I wrote this thing and like this makes sense to me and and then like that's the thing but it's relatable it's got to be relatable to yep. everybody you know yep. and uh so that you know like I have friends that are like they kind of like want to be more edgy and shit like that and I'm like 
why would you as a comedian make it your goal to piss people off? I get like if you're angry at an open mic and you just want to rant, rant or vent a little bit, that's fine. But, you know, like if someone's paying you to make people laugh, don't go don't go up there and be an <laughs> asshole to everybody. Right, right. You know, it's a but yeah, I, th- I think everybody does their own thing and, you know. Some people are really good at being an asshole. They are. I mean, insult comedy is a thing, which it's got to be, especially in this day and age, when, like, if you insult somebody in this day and age, they they literally almost have the ammo to make you stop doing what you do for yeah, a living. Yeah. Um, and, but there's still people out there that do it. And, I, you know, um, the roast battle stuff, like when you just get two people up on stage and just tear each other apart, I kind of like that idea because you're you're targeted with your insults and you know that the person that you're going up against isn't going to they know, ruin. They yes. know what it's going to, what's going to happen. Yeah. Where crowd work, you're kind of fishing in a pond and you don't know if there's piranha or trout down there. Yeah. And who knows what you're going to haul out. I mean, we, we experienced that a lot at the donkey gong show because mm-hmm. that wasn't a comedy bar. It was a grind right. time yeah, yeah. bar. It wasn't, it wasn't ever <laughs> meant for us to be on that stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've always felt that way. Like a roast is a, you know, well, first of all, I I always used to joke because people would want to do roasts around here. And I'm like, the funniest part about a roast when you watch it on Comedy Central is that everybody knows what Justin Bieber has been up to all year. Right. So, But it's like you're, gonna, you're making like all these like really inside jokes about these dickheads that you hang out with. But nobody else nobody knows. knows. <laughs> Who gives a shit? It's just two assholes yelling at each other on stage after a certain point. But so when I, whenever I was asked to do roast stuff, I would always I, I would always write the jokes about the person's appearance, you know, because I'm just like, that's that's the one thing everyone can see. Sure. You know, so and, you know, it's like if you're overweight, you're expecting the fat jokes. You know, if you're bald, you're expecting the bald jokes. If you, you know, if you dress like a schlub, then, you know, you're going to get some goodwill jokes. And, and that's what it is. That's what it is. Exactly. But everybody kind of knows where you're coming from, at least. But uh, but yeah, we did a roast one time and McGowan was on it and he just did some of the most like brutal personal attacks and it was just a it was like shit uh, that was based on conversations that we had had privately <laughs> so he just aired everybody's dirty laundry yeah basically like you, and, you know it was like three of us up there so, but he was you know it was like all this shit about like how because I have kids I, I have to just watch everybody get like get big and move to better markets and comedy and shit and I was like yeah that's all true <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's all stuff I told you in confidence, but yeah. thank you. I'm glad that you were able to bring it up here on a microphone in front of people. Right. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, um, I'm, I can't wait to have him on. Uh, Mike McGowan, uh, I'm so glad that he came back. I was so super bummed when the dude moved to Philly. And yeah. um, when he said, you know, what I think he posted on Facebook about how it just wasn't for him anymore. And he's, He's, yeah. His roots are in Oregon. I was just like, good. We're getting we're getting him back. We're like one of the good ones back. We yeah. are, and it sounds like one that might stick around because you know Eugene comedy is is kind of a lot of turnover. I mean, a lot of people aren't sticking around, especially if they're going to pursue it. They're going to try to move that's out a, of here. That's what I tell people. Like the the younger people in the scene, I'm like, if you don't have anything tying you to this town, then three years max. Like get your feet on the ground get your beak wet and like understand what this is. And, but then you have to go to like a secondary market because you're definitely not going to be ready to jump from Eugene to New York right? or Eugene to LA. You got to go to like, go to Austin, go to, uh, go to Portland, whatever you got to do. Uh, Atlanta is real hot right now. Probably where I'd go if I didn't have kids and I had 
20 more years <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you, you mentioned Austin. I was talking with Chris Castles about it, and, you know, it's kind of funny. He moved there, what, five, six years ago, um, never expecting that the whole comedy world was just going to descend upon Austin. Yeah, the COVID, it, it ended you know? up being the the spot to be i have a buddy down there as a musician and he was like he was like dude come down and crash on my couch joe rogan's opening up a comedy club here and i was like i don't think he's gonna put me up (laughs) (laughs) i gotta be there for like six months before i get a spot you know yeah but But, uh, you know i think the thing about it is though is is once you get to a place like that and you can you can kind of rub shoulders a little bit that's one thing that chris said is like he's like i might not be friends with these people but i'm in the same room every now and then and like sooner or later it will happen and that's just what you hope for talented comedians, you know, yeah. is that the right person sees them and the right person gives them a shot or whatever. And, um, I mean, dude, how old are your kids? You gotta be, uh, my, my youngest is 14. He just turned 14. So, so you got four more years, four years, then, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just, I'm just going to try to talk him into going to college at a cool place. There you so go. That's a good comedy scene. <laughs> so I'll just follow them. And some college towns are great for comedy. It just depends on which one you just, you yeah. don't want to end up like it in Yukon. Right, you know, he's go to Connecticut, and then you can't tell a joke because you're going to get, you know, thrown off the stage. But you know, I I have a good friend that uh, does comedy and lives in Olympia, Washington, and I'm like, that's close enough to Seattle, and it's also a nice, calm, quiet college town. Like that would be like kind of a nice, nice area to be in. Uh, and then you know, of course, like moving to Nashville has been blowing up lately with comedy. I mean, with pre-COVID and all that, mm-hmm. uh, and and the South, like uh, um, Louisiana, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, has like this weird little comedy collective that's uh, been been doing some really cool shows and everything. So it's like it's weird, but. I think, and that's like what Rudy and I wanted to do with Eugene is that we just, we wanted to make, make it like evident that a small town is not a place where comedy can't happen. Right. And so like that year before, before the Shane Torres show, that was the last of the shows that we did, but we did, I mean, we had Fortune Feimster, we had uh, uh, Jonah Ray from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Big Kyle Canaan. Kyle like, Canaan, I was yeah, going to say, I remember uh, that Maria flyer. Bamford was like one of the uh, one of the first people that did it. She's so funny. We she had her on the radio amazing. show, dude. She and is then, so funny. Yeah, and then uh, her her uh, feature act that she would bring with her, Jackie Cation, had like this really awesome podcast with Lori Kilmartin, who writes for Conan, and they came up and did their own show that was just the two of them. And so like we were just, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to bring in like these these bigger names and and make people that like comedy in this town like realize that this is a thing and so then if anybody like ever had the inkling to try it they would know all right well you know we have these open mics you these there's these two guys i've seen them at the kyle canane show you know like they, <laughs> <Right>. they do <laughs> shit <laughs> and uh and at the same time we were also trying to get like our friends that have been working their asses off here in eugene doing comedy to get like these opportunities to perform with these bigger acts. So we, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you know, Tyler Jones, he's one of the, one of the newer comics in the past three years or four years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, his first comedy show he ever saw was Brian Pesane. And then we put him up as the opener for Brian Pesane. Oh, that's he awesome. Fucking crushed it. That's and awesome. I was like, I'd never been more proud because I, like, that's a guy <laughs> that I saw him when he was at, you know, when he would, his hand would shake when he was on the mic, his first couple of open mics. And I got to watch him over the first year or so of his career, like just 
like learn how to do this and then get good at it and then get confident and then like be brave and like and then like by the time we gave him that show i was like i hope he's ready you know, like, <laughs> kind of throwing him in the deep end of the pool yeah he just went in and, and really fucking assassinated that audience that night it was so good that's great man. and uh yeah uh we had todd berry one of his favorite comics was uh or uh one of uh, one of the local comics, uh, Todd was like his favorite comic, and he was another guy that had been working a long time and, and had never really had the opportunity to do anything big like that. So we we're like, Bert, you open for Todd, and and he again he crushed it. That's he was awesome. Just like ready to do it, you know. And so we were working our way through our local comics to to give them all opportunities, and then we only we only got to do like I think total of. Uh, 10 or 11 shows. Right up to that mic. I think it's getting, oh. cutting, out, cutting out on you a little Sorry. bit. No, you're okay. Uh, yeah, but we uh, we only did about, uh, I think we only did about 10 or 11 shows, but it was, you know, every one of them was awesome and, and special. Sure. And and gave, like, local comics a little bit of an opportunity to do something, you know? It's great to have a couple guys that, are, that have that vision, like you and Rudy, because... I feel like that's really what Eugene comedy has needed for years. And, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like if the, the, the talent is there and the want to, and the venues and stuff like that is there, there's just not somebody that kind of manages it almost like, and, yeah. and I, that might even be a bad term manager. Cause that almost sounds like you're working for somebody when really this is an artistic adventure, but right. I think, um, you know, we've, we've had, uh, we've definitely had people come in and out that had, amazing things to add to the scene and uh and you know like well uh, uh there was a comic jane malone who hosted the kyle canane show mm-hmm. she was uh she was she's a, a go-getter you know like and she's an amazing graphic artist so like when she came into the scene even though she was new at comedy like all of a sudden we had great posters you know and then but then she got really like she was good at looking at the scene and seeing what needed to be done and uh and you know and the, you know the, over the years i think f- for me it was all just trial and error mm-hmm. like everything that i've done right i did wrong five times before <laughs> it. but uh but ju- i was just the person who was that persistent about it you know when i started uh, speaking of chris castles he was the only game in town and he would really put together a show like once every couple months right and and like there were so few people doing it that he would just kind of let anybody that wanted to go up and do time go up and like and so we, uh, the first show I ever got booked on was he booked me on it and I did five minutes. Like, uh, I was like the second guy on the show and then the headliner went up and then seven people went after the headliner. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it was just cause everybody was drunk and high. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, go ahead. There was a guy that brought his laptop up to read his jokes oh, that man. he had typed out. I was like, it was a, it was a mess, but also, if, you know, that's what the, that's that's what you could get away with back then, yep. you know. And then, and then when when I started doing stuff, Chris and I worked together a lot, and, and uh, it was like he kind of showed me a little bit of what to do and a little bit of what not to do, you mm-hmm. know. And and because he was doing the same thing, it was a lot of trial and error. And then um, and you know, so I when I first got my my first room. Uh, I had a Oak Street Speakeasy, which isn't even a bar anymore. I was like, all my places that I started doing comedy don't exist anymore. <laughs> it's like Diablos and Oak uh, Street Speakeasy. <laughs> but uh, both of those places, I started around the same time, and I was booking those those rooms. And I just knew what I liked, you know? Like, I knew who to book because I knew who I thought was funny. 
And I, I was always pretty on with that, but then it was all the managing of the money and like all that stuff. Like that stuff was, uh, I knew that that was important because I had seen other people fuck that up. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, I, I've seen people like guarantee someone a hundred bucks and then give them 40. Oh. And the look on that guy's face while he's going back to a big city to tell everybody that you're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, right. with you. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, all right, always have all of the money that I've guaranteed people in my pocket, no matter what. Like that'll come out of my end if we don't make enough money on the right, show. Right. And, but yeah, I mean, I was putting good enough shows together that I didn't have to pay out of pocket too often, but. Yeah. That's good, and that's also like commendable that you're willing to take that bullet and say, like, look, oh, yeah. it's on me. If I'm not going to take it out of the dude that traveled here as much. Right, yeah. You know? uh, I'm sure you know Derek Sheen. Yes. Yeah, Derek Sheen is one of the funniest human beings on the planet. The first time I ever worked with him, I was I was sure that his name was going to bring people in because I thought he was so funny. And then I was like, I'm a comedy nerd. So <laughs> I know who this guy is. Nobody knows who this guy is yet. Because uh, he was, it was back when before he was working for Pasane, before he was working for Patton Oswalt and all that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I booked him at Diablo's, and we were doing a five dollar show. I guaranteed him one hundred and thirty bucks, and uh, and we got five people. So, <laughs> so you like, paid him one hundred bucks? <laughs> no, I, I paid him one hundred thirty bucks because I I walked out to the the ATM and fucking got money. Gotcha. I, was, I was like, my wife's going to be mad at me tomorrow, but I can deal with her. Right. I don't want to, uh, I don't want this guy going back to Seattle to tell everyone not to work with Sub Milstein, you know? So, um, it was just a matter of like giving a shit enough to like put your ass on the line a little bit. Sure. And, sure. Uh, we actually did a, we did a fat camp uh, show with, uh, Derek Sheen at wetlands. I yeah. think, uh, with yeah. Mac chase. Were you, mm -hmm. were you, on I wasn't show? on that show. I was on a different one that you did. That was one of the Fat Camp shows. I I can't remember who. Yeah, I, I don't was. remember. I remember Derek Sheen just absolutely killing it yeah, in that he's, room. He's, he's so funny. So good. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's funny that you, you told me about uh, your buddy Tyler or Tyler, who's a, a, a you know Posein fan. Yeah. Um, I got kind of lucky, and so. I you guys worked with the same in uh, the Wow Hall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get that show. And I was like, who the fuck got it? The donkey show? <laughs> we kind of cheated our way into that one. There's no question. Because we're like, wait, Posein's coming? Who's his opener? Because both Drew and I just want to go do stand-up so yeah. bad at that point. Like, who's his opener? And the guy's like, uh, there's no one listed. I was like, call his manager. Yeah. We want on that show. Yeah, yeah. Like that's all I said, and it happened. And well, you have a radio show. Yeah, you have good leverage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Dude, it was so funny. He came into the radio show that day, and you know we had Mario Kart set up on the N sixty four in there, uh -huh. and he walked. Brian Posehn, just a huge human, walks in, yeah. says hi to all of us, does an about face, and looks directly at the wall, which is not facing any of us. And he goes, yeah. "Is that Mario Kart?" It's like yeah, And we gave him the controller, and he just sat there and played for like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, super nice. Nice dude. Um, He's the sweetheart. He really so is. So funny. And it's like, for me, I look at that and I'm like, that guy was on Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, like, holy shit, that guy's on Seinfeld and he, he's in here right he, now. Uh, when we did the show with him, Derek was his feature. He was he always kind of does the road with Derek when he's in the Pacific Northwest. And so I, I go way back with Derek. So it was, it was really fun. Uh, you know, they show up. And it was clear that he had just been woken up out of a nap to go <laughs> to the venue. And so I just showed them to the to the green room. And, like, he didn't say a fucking word to anybody. I think he whispered something to Derek at one point. And I was like, I was like this is a bummer because this guy's, like, kind of an asshole. And then uh, 
he like right before the he had to go on stage he kind of perked up and he was like he was like all right uh, is the is the good room is the room full and i was like yeah room's packed and he went up on stage crushed and then he got off stage he signed anything that anybody wanted to sign he took a picture with everybody that wanted to take a picture with him then we smoked weed in the green room until like two in the morning <laughs> and then he, or no it was like until about one then he goes is there food? Is there food anywhere that's open? And I was like, yeah, we can get food. And I took him to Mandy's, which had just opened, which was 24 hours. <laughs> so, and then we, like, he was so chill. Like he, like, and I, I, you know, I grew up watching Mr. Show. Like my, my late teens, early twenties, I've watched so much Mr. Show. And, uh, and so like those quotes are just like come out of me at certain <laughs> points or whatever. And at one point I, I quoted something from Mr. Show and then I just like realized mortified that this was one of the writers and actors on Mr. Show. <laughs> and he, without skipping a beat, he's like, you know, I remember when we wrote that sketch and then tells this great story about like all these fucking cool people. That's awesome. And I was just like this, this guy's, and then like after we were at Mandy's, there was a party that like a bunch of people wanted me to try to bring Prasane to. And I was like, the party is probably still going on if you want to go. And he wanted to go. And Derek was like, dude, I got to drive you back to Seattle tomorrow. <laughs> so Derek was the like, I mean, I won't call him a party pooper because I honestly was not in any mood to go right. deal with more people. <laughs> but it was funny that like Prasane was kind of game to yeah. do it. You know, he's, he's just a sweet guy that likes hanging out and yep. having a good time. I mean, in the green room, uh, when Drew and I went in there, we actually weren't expecting him to be in there as early as he was because yeah. we went in there like 30 or 40 minutes before our set just to start going over our notes yeah and we just kind of burst into the green room thinking it's just going to be us and here he is laying on the couch reading a sci-fi novel yeah and there's a box of voodoo donuts next to him and drew you know we kind of try to lighten the mood you know drew is he's always got a smile on his face he's always wanting to, to you know to talk to people and to engage people and he's like all right voodoo donuts and he opens it up we're kind of looking through and he and i are chatting and you can tell that we're like we're not necessarily annoying Brian Posehn, but right. also he would prefer it if we weren't there, you yeah. know? And we sat down and we were going over our notes and it came time for, for us to go on. It was about, you know, 10 minutes. And he looks over at the uh, the uh, Voodoo Donut box and he goes, is that a donut shaped like a dick? And <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, that's it perfect. Was. It was. It yes, was. that's exactly it what it was. was. <laughs> and those are my Brian Posehn memories. And, you know, I, it wasn't my best set, but uh, it was at the Wow Hall opening for somebody that I never yeah. should have been on stage with before, you know, and or never deserved to be on stage with. Sorry. And that it's funny. You talked about castles in the early stuff because castles did that to me. He kind of grabbed me by the shoulders one day in the studio and was like, you need to go try stand up. Yeah. Come do this show I'm booking for at the Oblos. Uh -huh. And that show you were on uh, was called Andy Andrus ruins Christmas. Oh yeah. And yeah, so my very first comedy show was, I shared the stage with the likes of yourself, Chris castles, Christine Levine. Yep. Um, and then, the likes of myself, uh, that wasn't worth bragging about back then. <laughs> for sure. I remember I did a I did a, a joke about cocaine that night, and it was the first time that Andy told me that I had a good set. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember it too, because a porn shop sponsored it. So there was a gigantic cartoonish butt plug on yep. the stage, and it was like that's the last thing I needed. I was going up there to try to spend my 10 minutes and, and, and I have to look at all of these things that I just, as like a <laughs> mid twenties kid, I can't not look at that. And I want to talk about it, but yeah. Um, yeah. I actually found some footage 
of that recently. And I was telling oh, really? Castles, it, it's just me. I, I didn't, we didn't film anybody else that night, but uh, I actually, it's right there on that little chip. Yeah. Um, and then I also have it on a, uh, a hard uh, mini DV cassette. And if I can ever afford the technology to transfer to that transfer and get that? it digital, yeah. I probably will. But I don't know, man. It's cringy that as was, hell. If I remember, was that in the basement of Diablo's? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that that was the night that I saw Andy do one of the best sets I've ever seen him do. And it was like for really like 20 people yeah. or something like that. It was not a huge room. But uh, yeah, he he had this one joke that I won't even go into the subject matter of it because it's an Andy Andrus joke. But uh, <laughs> it was it was like one of those cringy subject matters. But he had nailed it so well that nobody cringed. Like everybody like went with him on the journey. Sure, I saw him do that one time because Andy. If it, you know, if your listeners don't know Andy, he's he's he doesn't um, he doesn't pull any punches. So he he did a. He had this set one time where he came to the uh, Wandering Goat, which I don't know if you remember Wandering Goat, very liberal, <laughs> yeah. super... Coffee company, not yeah. a bar, right? It's a, yeah, it's a coffee <laughs> shop. I, I mean, they sold like a, like three beers on tap or whatever. But yeah, the but it was like, it was very much like the... the uh, uh, it was very much like a PC environment. Right. And he walks in after he had gotten shut down at another show. Like somebody wouldn't let him go up at another show because they thought he was too Andy Andrews. <laughs> and uh, and so he was like, he came in hot. He was fuming. And he's like, yeah, this fucking bitch wouldn't let me go on. As well. uh, and then he looks at me and he goes, put me up. And I was like, I, I was like, if I say no, I lose a friend right now. Yeah. <laughs> but if I say yes, I lose this venue. Lose the show. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck it. It was a good run we had here, but I'd rather have the friend than the, uh, than the venue. And so I let him go up and he did this bit that he's been doing for years about how we need to take all the child molesters in America and send them over to Africa and the Middle East to fuck all the child soldiers, <laughs> oh which God. is just such a fun. And, but when he's on, he can deliver it in the way that the audience will go with him. And he did it that night. And I could not believe they were like wooing afterwards. So, and I'm like, this is a hipster coffee shop. Nobody woos. You're lucky if you get a golf cart. Right. That's how you know you killed if you get a golf cart. Somebody looks up from their iMac at yeah. you. Like... <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I've definitely done those shows. But, uh, but yeah, he crushed it that night. Uh, those were like my two favorite times watching him perform honestly that's great i i really love how this is going to work out because um you and chris castles are going to book in the andy andrus episode oh, chris great. castles awesome. uh, aired the week that you and i are, are uh, recording this and then andy will air next week and awesome. uh you'll be on the other side of that and now we've heard stories <laughs> from both of you guys about andy and we've also heard andy recount his version of the same story I mean, right Chris told me a story about how uh, one of the the directors of one of Andy's specials called him one day and was flipping out because Andy hadn't been doing what he was supposed to do. And Andy on this podcast talks about when that call was made, he was playing basketball with two 10-year-olds in a park somewhere <laughs> and, and supposed to be working too, not to mention. So um, I think that by the time this one airs, people will be well familiar with Andy Andrus and he will be a frequent guest on this if he will come in and do the podcast yeah. because... Well, he's got a great podcast. Uh, yeah, Issues with Andy, Andy. Yeah. right. And, uh, and that's actually the next thing I wanted to get to is I know that you've been doing some work on some podcasts and I do you have your own 
own uh, I don't have point? anything right now, no. Uh, you know, this whole pandemic thing is like, well, we have forever to put something together. And now it's like, it feels like it's almost over. <laughs> so, we didn't do anything, shit! I, did, uh, I mean, uh, what I did throughout the pandemic is I got really into writing. I was writing, I write for Savage Henry Magazine, mm -hmm. and I've been doing that for about five years. But, um, so I did, I was doing a lot of that, and uh, and I was reading a lot more. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I like literature and I write like to be funny. So I actually started like giving a shit about my writing and like I bet I could be funny and make it like a reasonable thing to read. Too, right. You know? <laughs> Novel not idea. Just, not just jokes, jokes, <laughs> jokes, but, you know, actually have some content in there beyond the humor. And so I got really into writing and, and, and reading more and like. Uh, but I kept teeter tottering back and forth between like, am I gonna am I gonna start a new podcast or am I gonna start a Twitch stream or something? You right, know, because right. uh, I mean, you know, Benji uh, Benji Wright, uh -huh. he, he had a, a pretty successful Twitch show for a while, and uh, but I think he stopped because um, he he got a different job and had to devote more time to that. And so I was like, well, I could take up the mantle of like old guy that plays video games. Yeah, right. Whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I, I never really got around to either. Um, I, just, I kind of focus more on family stuff. I've been spending a lot more time with my son. And, and uh, cause yeah, he's, yeah, a sorted state of affairs. But yeah, he did, I just felt like, you know, it's, he's, he's 13, 14, and this is the time that he kind of needs somebody and you know at a time where his social life just dropped out from under him right you know i wanted to focus more time on on uh on giving that giving my family attention and um that's great dude yeah. and nobody nobody would ever blame you for that in their right mind so oh, yeah. that's what you chose to work on during the pandemic right. hats off dude. i uh yeah and I, I mean i still write jokes i still i performed every opportunity that i had to perform that i felt was a safe opportunity um, but you know, overall that was like what was most important to me. And you know, like I, I just got divorced a couple of years ago. And so for me, it was like, I, I let comedy fuck up a lot of things in my life <laughs> or, or my, my passion for it fuck up a lot. So I was like, I'm not going to let it fuck up my relationship with my son. And, uh, but yeah, like Dylan Flynn and I used to do, uh, a couple of different podcasts uh and we we actually had some pretty big guests we we interviewed mark Marin and stuff like really that. and dan Harmon from uh rick and morty yes, dan Harmon. um but uh but yeah we uh, like i asked him the other day i was like do you have any of those recordings and he's like no <laughs> so, i was like oh it just it, it's like it never even happened but then i found uh the dan Harmon one is up on youtube so okay put it on youtube so. great you can still hear that, but uh, and I know he's doing Dylan Flynn, who also uh, I've talked to him about being on this podcast, and I will have him yeah. on as soon as it works out. Um, play it by year is his podcast, yeah. right? I, and I I do stuff on that too, uh, so I guess I've, I've been doing comedy in that sense. But uh, yeah, that is phenomenal. It's the he called me and told me about it. And it sounded like the most insane thing that I've ever heard. Because <laughs> he was like, yeah, I want to do this. I'm going to do this radio show on the internet. And uh, every year, every episode is going to be a different year. And I'll put together blocks of different type of music that were like relevant to that year. And I was like, that sounds really fun. And then he goes, but then also, 
<laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna play this character that's a, that's uh, from Texas, and he's also a time traveler for the CIA, <laughs> and he's trying to stop a cataclysmic event that's gonna end the world in 2021. <laughs> it was like, okay, all right. <laughs> but then, as it started unraveling, like you saw that the, he had this vision, and it's fucking happening, man. Like it is. I really think it's a solid show. The the ones that I I don't participate in, I like listen live like a like a fanboy. You know, yeah. like it ha- it's every Sunday night at uh, seven, and I I'll just I'll, I'll like put a video game on that I could turn the volume down on, and I just listen to it like and like every once in a while I'll just like stop playing because I'm like what is happening now, <laughs> but uh, it's fucking great. I I recommend it to anybody. It's uh, Duff Dixon on Mixler. There you go. There you go. Duff Dixon. Yeah. And I I had to tell him this too, when I was talking to him and, you know, we'll address this whenever he comes on, but he was doing such a good job with his promotion that I thought Dylan Flynn was producing a podcast for a dude named Duff Dixon. And I told him that I was like, great job, dude. I had no idea that that was you. So when you hear it, it's like hard to put put Dylan's uh, face to it. But uh, yeah, because he plays this guy with like a, a pretty heavy Southern accent and uh yeah i i love it i just think he's doing a really great job with it and uh you know each season kind of focuses on a different character and we're i think we're in the third season now and my character is the one that like this season focuses on so we just did the last episode was like uh i had to do like some pretty dramatic acting yeah (laughs) but it was really fun i mean it's a blast to work with dylan and he knows exactly what he wants and He's like a Clint Eastwood. Like he's like, I'm gonna get it in two takes. And yeah. he, he's like, this is what I want from you, and then you go for it. And then if he has any notes, he'll just be like, all right, this is what I this is what I heard, and this is what I want here. And like, and it, he's very clear about it, so you can just you know flip and, and do what you need to do. Uh, but it was really great. Yeah, super fun to listen to and and fun to work on. That's awesome. I will put uh, a link in the description for sure so you can check out Play It By Year uh, with Duff Dixon, uh, produced by Dylan Flynn and featuring Seth Milstein yeah. on, uh, on what, just one season? Or are you kind of throughout? I, I've done a bunch of stuff. Uh, we've He has like one episode every season that doesn't have like a plot arc in it, like doesn't contribute to it. So I've been writing these weird characters and I call in, I, ca- I had a character that was... Uh, there was a guy who believes that uh, Sublime is the best band that's ever existed. <laughs> and so he was like, and like, so he's a real bro guy from Orange County. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> Which you know well, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, well, I lived through the 90s. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break real quick. Uh, refill the drinks, hit the bathroom, and we will be right back. Please enjoy this little bit that I wrote about a uh, fake university called Academy for Karens. Stay tuned while we grab a refill. The Man Room continues next. Introducing AFK, Academy for Karens. Are you having problems fitting in socially? Do you constantly get thrown out of establishments because you're acting like a child? Is wearing a mask infringing on your right to contract a deadly disease? Then you should enroll in Academy for Karens today. At Academy for Karens, we nurture your natural ability to be a giant bitch to virtually anyone. 
especially those that are innocently trying to do their jobs. That's why you work in a supermarket, you dumb At our prestigious school, you'll attend lectures and interactive classes from some of today's most accomplished and revered Karens. Ma'am, he's running me over! Please hurry! Mike! Mike! Not only will you gain a deep knowledge and understanding of who a true Karen really is, but you'll leave this hands-on training with the need to f up literally everyone's day. You're saying I have to wear a mask? Don't pull your communist bull on me! We have the most experienced faculty of Karens, notorious worldwide for their viral capabilities and their deafening screams. What the f is wrong with everyone? What Have a good day, Jamie. No need to speak to the manager today. Academy for Karens. Enroll today. Welcome back into the man room. I'm your host, Marcus Bridges. Thanks for being here with us tonight. Uh, Join me in the man room tonight is Seth Milstein. We'll get right back to talking to him in just a second. Don't forget to hit us up on the website, www.themanroompodcast.com. Check us out on Spotify. I uh, hear if you're listening to this on Apple that those five-star ratings are really important. So hook us up with one of those. We would love it. And uh, it's going to help keep this podcast going. So, Seth, we talked about it uh, just briefly, but I wanted to talk to you about um, writing for Savage Henry, which is oh, yeah. a publication out of California, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, out of uh, Humboldt County, California. I don't know what else they do there. <laughs> <laughs> they grow grass, I think. It's, it's a grass yeah, seed yeah, capital of a, some sort. No, it's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Savage Henry, uh, like I... Uh, I, I refer to it as like, it's it's like uh, the National Lampoon for people who didn't go to college. Okay, gotcha. So it's just a humor magazine. Uh, they've, they've, they've been really gracious to me and they kind of let me do whatever I want to do, which is exactly what I'm looking for yeah. in a publisher and an editor. But uh, but no, I, I love writing for them. Uh, Chris Durant uh, had a lot of troubles. They just opened up a comedy club right before all this shit went down. Oh, dude. So yeah, they had they had a couple of months in before the shit hit the fan, and so they they had like a big uh, Kickstarter thing, and and uh, they ended up getting some grant money to keep it going. So uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I love writing for them. I love working with them. I'm actually going down there uh, to do some shows uh, in mid May. Um, I'm going to do a weekend there. I think it's the weekend of the 19th, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so in, in like your articles and stuff that you write, like you said, it's a humor magazine. So do they just kind of let you like pick what you want and go? Do they give you a general uh, direction or how does that, how's that work? They have a theme every month, you know? So like uh, I just did one that was uh, the mulligan theme, which is, you know, it's a golf term. I'm not a golfer, <laughs> right. but, but I know a little something about second chances. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was, uh, for me, it was, uh, it, I just, they kind of tell me what the theme is and then I interpret that as I will. That's awesome. And I do whatever I want. And, uh, you know, I think their, their minimum is 400 words. And then I was writing for them recently and I was like, 
uh, I called the editor. I was like, hey, I'm at like 1,500 words with this thing. <laughs> he goes, we'll just split it in two and do it like over two issues. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, like it's that type of freedom. And uh, I think they trust me to 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 create good content and and I try to I try to do that. Yeah. So, well I mean obviously if you're gonna headline the venue, right? I mean right. for for a weekend, they obviously trust your your stuff and it's yeah. uh for good reason, man. Um, I've I've heard you do some absolutely killer sets, and I'm sure that it translates right over to paper just fine. Especially like you said, if you've been spending some of this lockdown bullshit time just working on writing and yeah. making I mean, it's gotta be like anything else, putting pen to paper is just like, you know, shooting hoops or or you know, working on your putting stroke. You, gotta like, do it. you, you just practice. have to do it. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, is why it's so sad the state of comedy right now is like there's right. there's a, not a lot of ways to practice. And I gotta be honest. If you're enjoying the stuff that I'm about to tell you that I hate watching, then I look, it's great. I'm glad that you enjoy it. But if I see another late night host try to do his monologue with no laughing in the studio, right, yeah. I'm going to tear my hair out, dude. It is so <laughs> painful to watch Seth Meyers look into the camera afterwards yeah. like he's willing you to laugh. But that wasn't fucking funny what you just said. Like, I don't <laughs> right. know if your writers aren't there or what the deal is, but Conan is... And, you know, Fallon to an extent, Kimmel from time to time, but Conan's really the only one I felt like has been funny at all with no audience. Yeah, and yeah. Well, Conan's just a monster. I mean, he's he's a funny person. Like, if you listen to his podcast, he's a funny guy without people in the room. Yes, yeah. He's, he's going to be funny when he's in the bathroom by himself, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, weirdly, the I haven't watched any of those shows because I the only thing that I've watched that used to have an audience... Uh, that doesn't anymore, um, that has been consistently still doing it for me is John Oliver, uh, because he, I, his first show without an audience, he, you could tell he was doing like the classic waiting for the laugh. And then, and then I think they just gave him all the right notes in between that first and second show. And the second show, he just stopped waiting for the laughs and just went for just it and on. just trusted the material. And the material's great. He's got like some of the best writers in in comedy right now. And uh, and so he's really funny. And that's definitely like more of a liberal tent tilt or whatever. Um, I also love... Uh, have you ever watched Jesus and Miro? Uh, you know, I saw your Facebook post about it, and I looked it up today, yeah. and I, I've heard the podcast before. I've never seen this, the TV show. They're great. Uh, they did a show for Vice for a while, and then they just got picked up a couple of years ago by uh, Showtime. And it's basically, it's two guys, and they, you know, they have this woman that's off camera that's just like, hey, what do you think of this? And and then they'll just kind of like rant about like whatever's going on. And then they'll show like uh, they'll show like YouTube clips of like shit that went viral and they'll just make fun of it. And then they have a guest. That's great. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's yeah. kind of a little variety show. Yeah. Hit all those of, yeah. bases. I love that, man. Yeah. It's like a modern. And, it, you know, that's the thing is like everybody's like, well, we just want Johnny Carson. Nobody fucking wants Johnny Carson. The guy's been dead for years. <laughs> right. You know, like, his, yeah. you know, Jay Leno's practically dead at this point. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, we thought he was going to be gone a decade ago, and then he yeah. came back, and here yeah. he is. And, hey, what do you think about this? It's like, I shouldn't be making fun of that guy right. at all. I'm not, I don't deserve that. But I understand what you're saying, and it's just... I feel like one thing that 2020 has done for a lot of different avenues is they've sh it showed people that, like, look... This desk job nine to five thing isn't something that has to happen anymore. You don't right. even have to leave your house. Yeah, yeah. And you can be just as productive, if not more. Um, you know, we don't have to call each other on the phone. We can look at each other face to face and take right. care of this meeting real quick. 
And I think that that's kind of transcending all, all walks of life. Like for me, and I, without getting into why I'm not working in the cannabis industry anymore in, in any, you know, fine detail, um, to be honest with you, after a while, you start to do something that you're not necessarily that happy with. And it just starts to kill you a little bit every day. Yeah. And yeah, when, sure. you know, I got, you know, my wife was a severe asthmatic. So when COVID first hit, I panicked mm-hmm. and I, I did the whole work from home thing. And the company supported me a lot in that. And I, I definitely give them uh, credit for that because like a lot of other people, I had no idea what the hell was right. going to happen. But what I was seeing on the news every morning is if you go outside, you're going to kill your wife. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, OK, well, I don't want to do that. And and then you start to, you know, kind of feel like maybe this isn't what I need to be doing. Like, I don't feel like this is fulfilling. And so that's why I jumped into this pool. It was like, oh, we'll see if we can make money off of it. You yeah. know, what do I have a year? I've got I've got a COVID year where everybody's going to be looking for something to do. Right. So, yeah. you know, maybe you get lucky. But Follow your passion. Yeah. That, this is that year where exactly. you get to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And bald guys don't chase their fucking dreams, Seth. And I'm going bald. Okay. So I, the hat is on for a reason all right. the time. Um, and, yeah, I feel like maybe the late night talk show host, you know, to bring the whole thing full circle I need to also realize that in Conan, you see a little bit of an adaptation where it's like the the shots are really close now. They're not super wide to show the desk. It's right. like you need to see Conan from the shoulders up and that's it. We yeah. don't need the big set. And, you know, it's it's all in the I guess in the name of evolution of yeah. everything, you know, yeah. and, and as, a, as a race of people, we should probably use this uh, as a learning experience. So that when the next one comes out, we don't all have to go into hibernation for a fucking year. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, a, the, you know, that's another thing we, you know, cancel culture has been a big thing in the news lately. And it's like, as a comic, part of me, like, wants to defend the right to say whatever the fuck you want. But part of that is that, like, yeah, if you say it and you work for this company, like Disney... They're not going to want you to make Holocaust <laughs> references. You know, they're kind of Disney. Yeah. Uh, so and so it's weird because I'm kind of on like both sides of that issue. Like uh, like I, I was thinking about it today. I was like, really, the only thing more annoying than cancel culture is people complaining about cancel culture. <laughs> it isn't that ironic. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, this whole fucking thing with Dr. Seuss. It's like I... I ran into a guy, random dude uh, um, at work, and he was he was complaining about it. And I was like, you know that it was Dr. Seuss's people, that, but it wasn't like the publishers weren't going to put those books out anymore. Right. He's a cash cow. It's Dr. Seuss. He's been like he's been relevant for every generation of kids. But the company said, oh wait, we, you know, times are changing. We're going to we're evolving. Yep. You know, that's what it is. Culture is going to evolve. And you're allowed to come with us if you want. <laughs> exactly. And, so. and dude, the thing about cancel culture for me is I look at it and I think if if you're going to come in and waste your time and your breath and the, the, the time it takes to put these thoughts together and your two biggest gripes are Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss, right. you are so far from what actually matters in this world. Right. And and the thing to me that was funny is neither of those things got canceled. Right. They did they it their own. Updated. Yeah, exactly. They and, and, and yeah. who's playing with it? And, you know, the, one of the funniest jokes I heard is like, you guys realize Mr. Potato Head hit a lot of stuff up his butt for this entire time, right? Like, it doesn't well, really matter what the gender is. There. The funny thing to me is that, like, uh, Mr. Potato Head technically got canceled, uh, like, 50 years ago because it used to just be the parts, and you would put them into a real a potato. A real potato, right? <laughs> like, the potato got canceled out of the potato head. It should be Mr. Plastic Head now. Oh, man, it should be. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's a yeah. really good point, but... 
But yeah, I mean, I'm like, yeah, like I think you you have the right to as a corporation, you have the right to back or not back anybody and any viewpoints or whatever. But at the same time, it's like it's like I have things that I would never say on stage right. or never say on a mic, you know, just things things that I think are funny. And I know that this friend of mine is going to laugh at that joke. So I'm going to tell that joke to him. <laughs> and, you know, but it's it's just discretion. You right. know, it's like some things are just for us and some things are for the world, you know, and then maybe the Holocaust jokes, you tone it down. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, find a. There's got to be a better platform for your Holocaust comparisons than the internet uh, showcase board. Mm -hmm. Which, if you have millions of followers, your stuff goes straight to the top of everybody's internet showcase board, right. and then you're the one that gets heard. And you kind of wonder, well, why? Well, because it, we talked about it on another podcast that I do, Tanner and Drew's Donkey Show, um, and it was. I think it was uh, Wendy Williams, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. was a TV talk show host, and she yeah. went out here just a few, like a week ago, and was like, "Look, as it is right now, I'm not getting the uh, the vaccine." And mm -hmm. she, you know, cited a few stories of people getting sick, people dying, whatever the case may be. And my point to that whole thing was, you have to be responsible with your platform at this point in time. You don't have to go and say what the what the the most woke people or all the cancel culture people want you to say, you have to understand that you just need to be responsible with your platform. And as Wendy Williams, maybe it's not the smartest thing to say that you're not going to get vaccinated because millions of people might follow suit right. just because you're who you are. Just because you're, you're big enough. To... And in the same, in the same news cycle, they were getting on LeBron James because he hadn't said whether or not he was going to get vaccinated yet. And right. LeBron James is Mr. I have a take on everything. Uh -huh. So they're wondering why. And, and look, it's as simple as maybe the dude doesn't want to get vaccinated and maybe he's trying to be responsible with his platform. Right. And we should respect that because all everybody, the only thing they tell that guy to do is shut the fuck up when he says what he believes. Right. And then the one time he doesn't say what he believes, they're like, well, what's going on? You know, <laughs> say stuff. Now. Exactly. And that, I feel like there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of jumping back and forth on either side of the fence to make sure that what you're complaining about is going to slide comfortably within your narrative right and and just argue the points that you concern or are concerned about and you know i i want to do that with this not that this is a, any huge type of platform but i just want to be responsible with it right we'll make jokes we're going to have a good time in here we're going to get boozed up i mean I, there yeah. will be times on this program that i will take in much more booze and cannabis than i should before anybody <laughs> puts a mic in front of me and i'm still going to do it and it's right. going to be fun but um you know the the end all be all is to hope that you know, we're not out here inciting uh, violence. We're not out here telling people what they should do. It's you should know that you should be comfortable doing what you want to do in this country. That's also, why we're here. Also, you're going to edit it before you put exactly. It when you're sober, stupid. you're going to listen to all that shit <laughs> and just be like, "Oh, drunk Marcus was on a tear." Uh, no, I like because I think I don't know. I think most people can agree that the Harvey Weinstein's and the Bill Cosby's of the world. We should cancel those people. Oh, yeah. They did yeah. horrible things. Woody Allen, let's get that guy out of it. Probably like, retroactively making, cancel those people. Yeah, <laughs> let's stop letting Woody Allen make three shitty movies a year. Uh, <laughs> he's past his prime, like, in the 80s. Right. But, uh, but you know, like, I just read a thing that they're trying to cancel Steve Irwin, and I was like, guess who doesn't give a fuck if you're canceling him? Him. <laughs> him right. <laughs> He's in that like, big zoo up in the sky right now. I'm like, and also you're canceling him because he put his children in harm's way because he had his baby 
near an alligator in a clip or whatever. And I'm like, but what you're doing is that baby is still alive and you're canceling their future because those things won't get aired and they won't get residuals. And those are those are kids that need yep. money, you know? Yep. Like, and look at the love that their father instilled for them for, for uh, wildlife. I mean, they're right. on all the late night shows in his stead yeah. with all those same animals. And, and what good would that do, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's part of it, too. I, I say this a lot, and I hate sounding cliche when I say it, but nine times out of ten, when you get in these, you hear these big, you know, uproars, and this side says this, and the other side says that. Is it not logical to think nine times out of ten, the answer is somewhere right in the middle? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think there are definitely the more more often than not, that's probably the case, uh, and because I think what what we've lost in in modern society is is context and perspective. You know, we, uh, I made a shirt when when Trump first got elected. Uh, we made a shirt for this comedy show that we were doing that had an anti swastika thing on it, and. Um, and there were people that were just like, why is there a swastika on that shirt? And I'm like, uh, I was like, okay, so let, <laughs> let, me, let me figure this out. So neoconservative means that you don't understand that Black Lives Matter is not about black superiority. And neoliberal means that you don't understand that an anti-swastika is not a swastika. Like, <laughs> It's like it's the, extremes, the extremes are just dumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And, it's and they're like getting every, further away from one another every day of yeah. the every day of the week too. And the, and weirdly, in a weird way, they're wrapping around yeah. the yeah. other oh, side. Oh no, the snake's eating its tail by now for yeah. sure. Like I am, I'm. You know, I think most most conservative people would would uh, view me as aggressively liberal, but I also fucking own guns. Yeah. Like, <laughs> People like my liberal friends are like, well, he's a conservative. But I'm like, nope. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I want to shoot those guns while I'm attending a gay wedding. Yeah, <laughs> smoking weed. Smoking weed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a lot the same way, man. And it's, it's, I think one of the greatest travesties of our, um, you know, kind of going back to when I can remember, like I grew up, you know, I was born in 84. So I, I remember the Clinton administration. Sure. I remember the Bush administration and, well, both of them, to be honest. And um, it's one of those things that I feel like going all the way back then, just painting people with a with a blue or a red brush. It's like you can't you can't break down the nuances of either one of these parties. Like right. we can't separate from just the fucking ass and the elephant. Like, can right. we please think about. And that's why a lot of, like, you know, we talked about it in here just off the mic. Like it's it's got to be like a like there's got to be a better answer that isn't the way we've been doing it for the right. last some odd years. And I, I was sure. talking to some friends about it. And, you know, this is something I heard on Joe Rogan uh, champion is like more of like a panel of people to run the country, like a panel of experts. Right. And then you go, well, who chooses the experts? Right. And I say, well, you, you probably have like a like a each state has like a panel for their state. And then one of my buddies pipes up and he's like, well, that's just the House of Representatives. I'm like, well, you don't need fucking 500 of them. Right. Can we pare it down a little bit? Like the more people that you add to this party, the more stupid decisions get made. Right. Yeah. So let's let's pare it down. But I mean, look, is there I don't think there's anybody in this country that could stand up at the at the head of that panel and take a new um, like a new thought process and just run with it and have it be successful right off the bat. Yeah. Things are going to fall the fuck apart. 
and I'm here for it. I'll do a podcast while the sky is falling around me. That's kind of <laughs> one of the cool parts about working from home now. Yeah, know? I uh, I love the idea of like let's start with just abolishing money. Go back to bartering. Something because once once you take that incentive out of it, like once once it becomes like you have to work for what you earn, you know, then then it's just like okay, well we've eliminated so much fucking bullshit because I mean I feel like. 90% of our politicians are in the game because they want to they want they want to easy money yeah. you know like they want to stay rich and they want to keep their friends rich you yep. know and it's like fuck that man like like and that's why you know what we were talking about mike i i don't think socialism works as a thing i think i think that it's a good idea and concept, but it doesn't work as a as a form of government. In practice, it's been shown multiple times over to, right. to collapse eventually. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I mean, sure, like it's more totalitarianism that that we've actually tried in practice uh, under the guise of socialism. But but the truth is that like. You know, like my ideal government would just be like, hey, let's not have a government and everybody just look out for everybody. And that is such a simple concept that like any any anybody that's actually in politics would spit on you if you said that. To them. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's just it's just like, wow, you can't make people. And I was like, no, you can't make people. They would have to actually just do it. Right. And and so you would you would just have to have to lead your community to be the type of place where people would want to help each other out. You know, because I don't think, you know, I mean, we, we've proved that welfare is probably not the, the I mean, it's it's compassionate, but it's not the best way to motivate people to to make their lives better. But at the same time, you can't let people starve to death. Right. You know? Like then you're going into Stalin territory. So uh, I mean, I and so that's where we are. Is we need to find like that that nice alternative where like if somebody's down on their luck, we help them out. But like let's not just give them money. Let's also like get them a fucking job. Right. Like get them something. Get that them they trained. Can do. Get them yeah. some skills. Yeah. Get them. Yeah. I mean, there's. It's, and part of that is education is fucking crazy expensive and it's elitist. I mean, education is racism at, at a certain point because of what, you know, I mean, you could take a, a guy from, uh, from, from the, the projects and you could take a guy from an affluent suburb and they have the same exact test scores. Guess who's going to get the scholarship? You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of that dude. And you know, I, I, look, I hate to say this, but I was a beneficiary of that. I don't know who I beat out or anything like that because I never saw. But I received a, a presidential scholarship at the University of Oregon because I had a good GPA at uh, high school. I graduated with, with 40 kids from. Right. And to be honest with you, it, I didn't have like a Friday Night Lights treatment where they were passing me six packs at 17 and everybody was giving me an A because I was a star athlete. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was a popular kid in school and I, I applied myself just enough. And I, I like to say that in that because I went to college and I was on academic probation in nine weeks. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that should go to show you right there that I probably didn't really try as hard as I could and learn to apply myself when they were kind of giving out grades. Yeah. And when it came to time that I actually had to earn them, I lost that scholarship immediately. I mean, just poof, right. you know? So I, I probably took that from somebody that was more deserving, uh, you know, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, and, like I don't think you should apologize. That was a thing that was available to you, and you acted on it. Like I, right. I mean, you did what what any person would do in in their life. But but the way that that was handed out probably could have been 
we could redesign that system a sure. little bit better so that so that it does go to the kid who's going to work his ass off. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got a I got a scholarship to a boarding school that was like like the the. Uh, the chairman of the board of the Pepsi Corporation's kid went to this boarding school. Wow. I should not have fucking been there. <laughs> uh, but I got a scholarship to it, and uh, I had to wash dishes. That was part of my scholarship, is that I had to wash dishes and do laundry for the rest of the school. And so it was definitely like a, a school ties. You, you ever see that movie? It was, yeah, like yeah. That, it was like that type of situation. But then... Uh, but then I got kicked out in like in like two semesters because I was smoking <laughs> weed, and uh, they frown upon that. Yeah. The uh, chairman of the board of Pepsi doesn't want you smoking weed around his kid. Does he know how good Pepsi is after you've smoked a bowl? <laughs> like, there's nothing that'll quench the thirst like a nice cold cola. You know? you know what? I remember that night very specifically, and we drank Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That's why they kicked me out. It's like, That's man, why, yeah. you should have chose Dr. Pib or whatever the fuck they call it. <laughs> what kind of sodas did he have in the garbage can in this room? All right, he's out. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking over my notes here. I don't really have much else. I do want to give you an opportunity real quick before we go to plug some things. And uh, I also, because we talked about something earlier that I didn't plug um, that I did last night. I spent my St. Patrick's Day last night. Uh, doing the first ever Twitch live stream playthrough of this podcast. I oh, played cool. the uh, the episode with Chris Castles last night on Twitch. And uh, every Wednesday, um, episodes for this will air Monday morning at 8 a.m. And every Wednesday at 7 p.m., I'm going to go live on Twitch and play the episode live. I'll spend the first half an hour of the stream chatting with uh, people uh, on the mm -hmm. mic and on the camera. That's cool. And then I'll go ahead and pull the camera and just be in the chat. And so you will be able to hear this both... Uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as Wednesday night, 7 p.m., the week it launches on Twitch. And I'm going to get more stuff going on there, too. I'd love to do some live stuff, especially, if, you know, if you're willing. I've got, you know, Andrus and stuff like that that's willing. Um, I want to get involved in that because I can't, dude, I can't wrap my head around how fucking popular video game streaming is. And I got to have right, a part yeah. of that platform. Yeah, for regardless, sure. So we, we all play. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I was like so pissed I didn't do a Twitch throughout this past year because I was like, I played through like six yeah. games. Uh, <laughs> I got my I'm time like, in. I'm still playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla right now. Nice, but, nice. Uh, um, yeah, May 14th and 15th. That's the dates that I'm going to be at the Savage Henry Comedy Club in Eureka, California. Okay. And then uh, um, I haven't locked in the date, but uh, one of the last two Mondays in uh, in April, I'm going to be down in Medford uh, doing a show for Nick Lanier. Okay. Um, and he he's kind of running the comedy scene down there and, like, actually bringing in some pretty cool acts and stuff like that. That's so. great. And, you know, he actually reached out to me, and I, I just, unfortunately, haven't had time. He sent me a bunch of his material because he wants to he wants to do the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, I love that, that I, you know, having somebody that, that I can vet him for me and I don't have to go through and, and you know, because yeah. that's one thing is like, I, I feel like I have to be once again, responsible with my platform. So sure. everybody that wants to come on, I have to go on and do this massive thing of homework, unless I already know you and you just get the call from me because <laughs> yeah. I know it'd be good. So I trust you now. So, uh, or I trust him now because of you. So I'm probably going to give Nick a call and see if he wants to come on the podcast sometime. 
he offered me some time down in Medford as well. And yeah. um, dude, I got to be honest, like talking to you guys, you, you know, true comedians that I know is starting to really scratch the itch. I, I think I'm going to get out there and start trying it again. And we should, uh, rumors are open mics are going to start up in Eugene in the next couple of weeks. So. Okay. Well, I'll be in touch with you on that for sure, because yeah. I'd like to come out and, uh, and posted for sure. dude, if nothing else, just support the scene. Like maybe I've, I might've run my course in comedy and I'm not funny anymore, <laughs> but I'll figure that out quick if that's the case. Uh, but I, I definitely want to support the scene because well, I like love what we were saying earlier. Doing. It's just, it's, it's not a thing where you just, you know, it's not like a, a frisbee where you just can like throw it right, <laughs> or not. Right. You know, it's it's something where you got to put a little time in. And uh, but you know, I've always had a great time talking with you on the radio and, and doing this. And uh, I mean, you definitely know what funny is. And oh, so, thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. I I think you know it, it would be a thing if if you committed to it, you could definitely do some comedy stuff. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Any other shows you want to plug before that? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get in trouble if I say no. Uh, I think those are the only two that are actually officially booked right now. Oh, um, I want to plug, uh, there's a thing um, called A Little Treat that Jane Malone has been putting out. Uh, and it's a digital zine and it's really fucking cool. And it's really hard to, uh, it's really hard to get the word out on it. Um, but there's a website, a little treat, uh, a little treat comedy.com, I think is what the website is. And, uh, it's like a, it's like a magazine, but it's all digital. So like you could like click on a picture and then it'll take you to like a secret YouTube thing that somebody did like, oh, okay. to accompany the artwork or the story or whatever. But I've been doing a lot of writing for that. Um, I actually wrote like one of the biggest pieces that I've ever written that got published for, for that, uh, so, um, and like amazing people have done work for it. Uh, Sam Talent uh, did a piece for it uh, for the first one. And then a lot of really great local people. Uh, Noriko Ott, I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's a phenomenal comic up in Portland. Okay. Uh, he's done a bunch of stuff uh, for it. I, I can't even think of all the great people that are involved. But, uh, but uh, it's, it's, I haven't read a bad piece in it. And it's really neat to look at just because there's so much going on. You know, you can. Uh, my roommate Chaz Logan Hyde uh, made a board game. <laughs> yeah, it. that's awesome. So, like, you can actually print it out and play it as a, as a board game. And stuff. That's cool. So, it sounds like yeah. more evolution in the world yeah. of, of creative digital uh, media. content. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's great, man. Yeah, well, we will fun. share the link to that in the description as well. We'll make sure to put a link uh, for the Savage Henry uh, publication up there too. Yeah. And um, you got a website. Uh, I don't have a website. You can check me out on Twitter, uh, uh, which is just Seth Mills, M-I-L-S. And uh, and that's also my Instagram. So awesome. Check them out there. We'll share those links as well in the description. That's the Man Room Podcast, dude. What do you think? Great. This was so much fun. <laughs> that's awesome, Seth. Thank you so much for joining me here today. We will yeah, have absolutely. you back for sure, especially if you're going to bring some of that damn fine whiskey, man. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. And and transmission.